Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Hello, I'm super excited to share the good news that I have written another book, How to Pay Your Mortgage Off in 10 Years, responds to the cost of living crisis that many people find themselves in. Whether you are paying off a mortgage, you've paid off a mortgage, you aspire to buy a house and have a mortgage, or you know someone who does have a mortgage, this book will have lots of frugal tips and tricks as well as some finance hacks for you. Thank you so much. You my frugalisters and welcome. Today I have a special guest and of course all of my guests are special. But this guest today is a good friend who inspires and challenges me personally and also helps and inspires many people with her commitment to the environment and sustainability. Welcome, Mia. Thank you for having me, Serena. Oh, it's just honestly such an honour and I've been talking about it for ages, so I'm sorry it's taken so long. Before we get in and talk, I actually want to just brag about you a little bit because you're kind of awesome. So Mia is a freelance writer, she's a successful entrepreneur, she has a passion for sustainable living and her work in sustainable development has spanned more than 15 years. In fact, you had a really cool assignment that you don't put down in this bio, I think. You worked with somewhere really cool doing something really cool. I've done lots of fun things in my time. I, met, I was country man- manager for World Vision in the Solomon Islands. I was yeah, a that's peace cool. monitor in Bougainville. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I worked for the UN in, oh, in um, peace and conflict sort of analysis work. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you don't put this down in your formal bio. They're all really cool things. So let's just say that Mia is super, super cool. <laughs> But at the moment, her focus is, after having children, is on creating sustainable life in the suburbs. So she's gone from all those really cool international serving overseas stuff to living in suburban Canberra, where she has an awesome garden. So her focus is on making one small change at a time. And so she is proof that living a greener and simpler life is within everyone's reach. She writes a sustainable column called Sustainable Life in her Canberra, which anyone living in Canberra knows is a super awesome publication. And she is president of the Canberra Environment Centre and she is founding chair of Canberra's Zero Waste Revolution. She is also author of a fabulous book called Happy Planet Living, Simple Ways to Live a Climate Positive Lifestyle and Make a Big Difference. Now, this is an awesome book. And so if you're looking for, say, a Father's Day present or a Christmas present or a birthday present for someone who's very committed to environmental causes, you need to buy the book, basically. Thanks, Serena. Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) Is there anything I missed? Any other cool appointments that you don't put in your formal bio? Uh, I'm also a member of the ACT Climate Change Council. See, there we go. (laughs) And that's a very prestigious uh, appointment too. It's not everyone who can be on that council. Well, congratulations on your new book. So what was it like to write a whole book? Well, I wrote it in chapters at a time over a couple of years rather than write it, sit down and write it on my own. I'm not the sort of person who likes to hang out alone too much, as friends, family and colleagues can attest. I'm much more of a talker than I am a writer, which is why I'm delighted to be talking with you about the book today. Yeah, so I wrote it in chapters and then put it all together. One time we went on a family holiday and I just ducked out in the afternoons and yeah, and, and put those chapters together, looked at what else might need to go in there. 
and then pitched it to publishers. Mum life. I just love this. And I can relate so much because my current book, I edited while we were on a family cruise. And again, that hour or two after lunch, before dinner, while the kids are sort of occupied in their kids club. Or just needing some downtime. Yeah, needing some downtime. And you managed to do awesome things just with those little bits of time. Yep. And I love the cover photo. And what I love about it is just, it's just you. It's very generous. I had a lovely photographer came and took photos in my garden. Yeah, he's a Canberra, Canberra local. And yeah, I was really pleased with how it turned out. Mm, and so it's actually in your garden. It's yeah, me in my garden with the marigolds. I love planting flowers in my veggie patch. I mean, it's good for your veggies because it, you know, encourages those pollinators and it's also beautiful to look at. <laughs> and they're edible. And actually, I have a, a, a small story about you, or rather, I should say, your son in my, my latest book, How to Pay Your Mortgage Off in 10 Years. One of your children is a bit of an entrepreneur. He's a real entrepreneur. He is always looking for opportunities to, you know, create value for others or make money, you could say. And what did he do in relation to your garden, <laughs> just to, to share? Well, he, look, he sort of counts the garden partly as his because he does sometimes help. And so he took to taking, you know, harvesting the zucchinis and herbs and, and trying to sell them to neighbours and to see how much money he could make. And he did make a little bit of money at one stage, but I sort of, when I got wind of it, I sort of thought, well, you can do a little bit, but not too much because they're my vegetables and I want to eat them. <laughs> well, I guess it could be hard when you, you're cooking the evening dinner and you were planning to just pop in some zucchinis only to find out that they're on the neighbour's <laughs> dinner menu instead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But quite seriously, though, for people who are looking to take up backyard gardening, how hard is it? Not hard at all. Definitely. Simple. Give it a go. I encourage people to start with herbs in pots if you're not very confident. Start with something that you will eat and put it somewhere that you go past regularly. So they're probably two really key factors, something that you know you'll want to eat and somewhere that that is sort of high traffic for you because if it's tucked away somewhere that you don't go very often, you'll forget about it. It's much harder to, to remember to maintain, to water. And somewhere you want to be, like a garden somewhere you want to be, not somewhere you have to go as a chore. I do miss that living in an apartment now and I used to have the traditional suburban backyard. I sort of took to foraging for weeds really because I didn't have as much time for gardening when I was single parenting and I was amazed at how many things I discovered but I did really miss that opportunity to just spend time with things that were growing. Yeah there's something really beautiful and joyful about connecting with the seasons and also with those plants like as they nourish and grow there's I feel like something enormously satisfying by knowing that you put that that basil or those seeds of parsley in and that you can then harvest that and enjoy that and you see it grow throughout the seasons in the winter time it doesn't grow as fast in the summertime in the springtime it sort of just explodes something really beautiful about that connection i think that gardening brings that connection to the earth mm. and in terms of money <laughs> <laughs> yes can you save a lot of money from gardening yes you definitely can i don't i'm not driven by money saving with my gardening. And so I think you asked me to estimate a little while ago how much we'd save. And it's probably around $10 a week. 
because herbs are pretty expensive and they're easy to grow, I think, and and they really do save. But I, I grow based on what, what I grow well in the garden and that's easy to grow rather than that money saving. But if you really wanted to, I do know people who grow for their whole family all of the veggies that they need and you're saving quite a bit of money by the time you do that. And you can do it if you've got a regular suburban block. I think these days houses tend to take up more than half the block. But if you you know you don't actually need that much space to grow a substantial amount of food. Just need to be well planned. I like to take it easy. Start with stuff that's fun that you want to eat and then build up from there. Yeah. yeah, that's that's good advice. I mean, I live in, a, in an apartment, as I just said, but I still manage to grow things like parsley and rocket and so forth. And you're looking at this sprouted jar. Yeah. So I've been yeah. trying to grow sprouts just from a normal jar and I haven't had much luck. And so I actually succumbed to the middle aisle of Aldi this week and I've got a sprouted jar, but I haven't used it yet. So I'm going to have to report back and see how it goes. They're good, yeah. I I recommend the sprouted jar. You've just got to remember to wash them out as per the instructions. instructions. I think that was the key last time, a bit of laziness on on my behalf. (laughs) But the jar makes it easier. That'll add to my my kitchen bench clutter (laughs) along with the sourdough starter and the various vinegars, the orange peel soaking and other things. But anyway, I wouldn't have it any other way. Beautiful. So we actually discovered recently we had a similar sort of childhood of sorts. At least we grew up not that far away from one another. Yeah, a long way from here, but not so far when we were growing up Sunshine Coast. So I should add we're recording on Ngunnawal land in Canberra um, where we're currently in winter and it's very cold. Yeah, and family, I don't know how your family go, on the Sunshine Coast do occasionally complain of the odd 10-degree day. We're 10-degree minimum, but here it's much more like a minus 5 minimum. So we were on the Gold Coast recently and we arrived at Coolangatta Airport of an evening and it was 12 degrees and everyone was complaining and we took off our coats and went, wow, it's so barby. <laughs> yeah, it's all relative. It's all relative. So how did your childhood influence your commitment to environmental causes i just i grew up around people who were involved in the environment movement and sustainability i think my mum and dad always had a veggie patch always had a compost it was just how we lived and they you know we'd go to different environmental rallies and world world environment day was always a festival celebrated that we'd go to so i grew up surrounded by that and I think I probably took it for granted as a kid. Not- well, it's definitely not normal. Like especially sort of in the eighties, most people would have been wearing you know, plastic things and fluoro things. Not necessarily going to World Environment Day rallies as family outings. <laughs> no. Yeah. So I definitely grew up with it. I'm not realizing how special it was at the time. But also getting really excited about it. i I'm always excited to hear about things that happen that are innovations that can help humans and the planet to sort of live much more in harmony. So I loved reading David Suzuki. As a kid, I got really excited when the Sunshine Coast Council brought in the very first sort of recycling plant and sort of rolled out curbside recycling. We sort of did the tour and we were just, I think it was one of the first in Australia. And so I, I've always been really interested and curious about it. Oh my God, I used to love it when the ACT government did the curbside collection i've never seen the neighbors get out in force so much in my life (laughs) pretty cool it is pretty cool 
probably a bit more things came back in the house from other people, but but that's part of it though. You always have these things that you have that you're not using, but other people really want and need. Yeah, absolutely. It goes around. So in terms of the environment, it seems like every year it's the hottest on record, it's the wettest on record, we've got bushfires. I think this year in Europe, the summer's been particularly hot and there's huge impacts there for many people living in that environment. So I guess the big question is, is it too late? It's not too late. It is never too late. We will almost certainly miss our 1.5 degree target internationally. But we can't give up. We have to have hope as humans. The alternative is far, far too frightening to consider. And I feel really, I do feel optimistic about humans and our ability to adapt when the settings are right. So when it gets a big enough problem for a big enough number of powerful people, I feel really confident that we'll adapt. Adapt as in mitigate climate change as well as adapt to the new climate. But it will be different. It's a different future, much more than what we've even got right now, more extreme weather and hotter weather. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not too late, but change is is absolutely coming. Well, it's interesting because I see that a lot of big corporates now are involved in a climate change agenda of one form and another. It seems like they're not waiting necessarily for the government. So should we be waiting for the government or is it all about personal responsibility? And I know what your answer will be to that, but I have heard esteemed researchers and professionals saying, no, it is actually all about the government. Individual people can't be making a change. Uh, No, it's absolutely everyone has a role to play, government, business and individuals in the community. Governments don't act unless the community are signalling that, that that's where they want them to go. It's very rare for a government to go way out on a limb if, if it's not something that their general population are supportive of. So gen, the general population taking action on climate change and on sustainability is a really great signal for government that this is important to people. There's a beautiful report on a behavioural insights report. Sorry, this is getting a little bit government speak that the United Kingdom's government put out and it really I think it really nicely sets out those different schools of thought or why you might have those different schools of thought around it not being personal responsibility and being more about government responsibility and talks about how as individuals when we're making change sometimes it can feel like we're swimming against the tide and that's tough that's hard so if we want whole scale change to create a net zero society we really need to think about changing the current, if you like, so that people who want to live sustainably don't feel like they're swimming against the tide. So the regulatory settings need to change and also the government programs and the way the government talks and interacts with the communities change. I think business are getting a bit of a jump start on government in Australia. They are. It's really interesting. We've seen a lot of shareholder activism in particular, which is interesting. They're often minority shareholders and not always majority shareholders, but certainly that has been something that a lot of big corporates have been noticing and and responding to for some years now. Yeah. Yep. No, I feel optimistic. We can take action and it's just, it's a matter of making it a priority. And so what about investors? So for a long time, people have felt that, say, for instance, their superannuation funds might have been investing in fossil fuels or the only way to get ahead is to invest in big business. Can people make an impact 
on the environment and still earn money. Yes, that's one of my like top tips in my book is to actually look at where your retirement fund is to to make an ethical choice on that. You can make a massive difference just by choosing an ethical retirement fund. And there are loads out there and they they're performing really well. So, and I feel like over time if if for people who are in that industry, they say that usually they're outperformed, but that gap between where like them performing overall better than regular funds is, uh, in my observation, starting to increase so that you're seeing an even bigger difference between those ethical funds and just regular performance. So the reason this um, pen- your pension or your retirement fund is important is because globally that money is the biggest pool of money for investment around the world. So Wow. Yeah, so it actually comes from individual people's pension funds. So it's the biggest source of capital globally so if we all chose an ethical one that biggest source would shift that i hadn't thought of it in those terms but yeah it's an important point isn't it if we all choose as consumers to put our retirement savings into ethical funds that will then force the hand of many companies to invest yeah ethically yeah it's huge so yeah in it's one of my top 10 tips of if you want to make a difference all you need to do is change your retirement fund. Bang. <laughs> One of the, and you can make a really big difference. Because that investment invest when you invest money, you know, has a really has a cascading effect rather than it just being a one to one ratio. You can have a much bigger impact down the track. Boom, your money. <laughs> Making an impact. Yeah. So speaking of tips, you have quite a lot of tips. In fact, you've got a new campaign sharing some of your tips. Yes. I've just launched a campaign looking at ways to reduce carbon impact and I'm going to share 50 ideas over the probably one a week over the next sort of 50 weeks but yeah 50 tips on how to reduce your carbon impact and I'm super excited and so where can people find these tips on my Instagram account so happy planet living Instagram check it out I want I wonder if you can share that in the show notes I can share that in the show notes that'd be awesome but yeah super excited about I'm going to start and I'm also going to try and put some evidence behind the different tips so it's not just a tip you, there's also some you know this is an estimate of how much carbon you might save by taking that tip on that is pretty cool now i have one question and then i've got a frugal list of tip that i'm going yeah. to ask you and this is a bit of a curly one but kind of what do your kids feel about all of this and i know i get asked a lot about a frugal list how do my kids feel about it the assumption being that i'm a terrible parent and i starve my children to to, to save money but is it hard, particularly with teenagers, they often think their parents are uncool. It doesn't matter what you're doing. So is it, a, is it a struggle to get your kids to have that same love and understanding about what you're doing on the environment? Kids, are, they're pretty good. They've gone through stages where they've sort of been, oh, yeah, that's just something mum does too. Mum, your generation wrecked the planet. What are you doing about it? I'm like, well, I've actually written a book and... <laughs> And I work on this. And you write every month for the yeah. camera. You've so, got an Instagram account. Yeah. I, you know, I think I'm getting a little bit less of that. They're like they're less keen on giving up stuff. Like, you know, they, they like having new stuff. But they don't get it. So they get a judicious mix. Yeah. So been, over time we've just made gradual changes around the home. So, you know, we used to have regular birthday parties just like everyone else with loads of stuff and take-home bags and 
And just over time, we've migrated that we, you know, we stop doing take home bags and sometimes we do a take home plant or do something different that's more sustainable on the take home front. And now we advertise on our birthday party invites for the kids that still have them that are young. Please don't give a present, make a donation to the kids wishing well. And the kids really look forward to doing that because all their friends put in and then they buy one big present. So they do still buy a present, but they get to choose it. Yeah. I, I must say I really used to hate those plastic stuff. Kids would play with it an hour tops and that's being generous. And then it was just junk I had to pick up from the house and put away. But then the other parents were so generous in giving it. And then I would feel bad that I wasn't being generous <laughs> in giving one of these party favor bags out afterwards. And Yeah. It's it's fraught being a parent. I, I think just do do the things to be more sustainable that suit you and that will work for you. And I think taking it one step at a time is a really important way to be. Feel good about what you're doing, not guilty about the things you're not doing. Very wise advice. So one final question. Do you have a Frugalista tip to share? And I know you've got a whole book full of tips, but do you have just one? Yeah, uh, my favourite Frugalista tip is to try a buy nothing new challenge. It's not buying nothing. It's buying nothing new. And because it's beautiful from a Frugalista perspective, definitely saving money. And also you're looking at what do you really need? So I say buy nothing new for a week, a month or a year, and it'll just add that extra bit of friction to any purchase that you go to make in that time that after the challenge is finished, helps you just think for a moment, do I really need that item? And then do I really need it new? For example, the very first challenge I had when I was doing my Buy Nothing New month was that I needed a pen to write with. And I thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to get a pen? And then I just looked in the back of the cupboard. There were like about 10. <laughs> so my first reaction was to go and buy a pen, but actually I had them. And then, you know, we're going camping and we need a tent. I bought it secondhand. There's always a way, or you can lend stuff off friends. So it, just adding that bit of friction can then to the purchases, I think, is a really beautiful way to help you see how you don't always need the things that you think you need. And then the things that you do buy new after you finish the challenge become really special. Yeah. Wow. And I was laughing too about the pens because I don't know if you've experienced this, but I end up with these random pens from like hotels and places and I'm like, how on earth did this even get here? I've never been to that place. It's it's just unusual how these kind of things I don't know. The, the journey of the lost pen. I don't know. <laughs> pens are definitely one of those things. I feel like pens you acquire and socks you lose. I don't know what happens to socks. There is definitely a sock monster in our house. Uh, well, we have the same thing, but what I do have is I have a little bag that I put I hang up near the washing machine. Whenever I've got a single sock, I put it in that bag and then every so often I'll yeah, pair them up. Pair we, them up. We do something similar. But even doing that. They still disappear. They still I, disappear. I haven't worked out how. It's definitely the sock monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mia. So make sure you check out her new book. Did I mention that it's great for presents, Father's Day presents, birthdays, Christmases? Wonderful. And also there's a reference to Mia in my new book, How to Pay Your Mortgage Off in 10 Years. If you've enjoyed this chat, and I hope you have, do also join my Facebook group, The Joyful Frigalista, to chat about this and any other topic. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Serena. You're welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. 
And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. to you.